I want to thank everyone who was present last weekend for Vision Weekend. As you hear what this God's laid on our heart is the next action steps or moving forward as a congregation. So we join God's mission by living and loving like Jesus. We really do believe that if we grow in our dependence on God, if we discover how we can train our, to multiply and grow ourselves, and also if we engage the vulnerable and the hopeless, we really do believe that we'll be living and loving a lot more like Jesus. We also think that it will transform the lives of those around us. And our prayer is that you would lean in, you would join in with us. If you were not here last week, I would encourage you to go to our website, cccgo.com slash vision. You can learn more about what we shared last weekend and, and all of you, I would encourage you to go there as well because our uh, next set of extreme prayer prompts are there. And we would encourage you to pray every day for what God wants to do through his church here at Crossroads as, as we keep moving forward into the future. Also last weekend, I want to say thanks for affirming our 2020 budget, over 99% approval, and also affirming our two new elder candidates, same kind of 99% approval, uh, 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 Ross Chapman and Dwight Silvera. Uh, they join us and start leading in January. So we just want to say thank you for, for leaning in and being part of what God's up to here. I'm excited today to kick off our sermon series for Christmas, What Child Is This? And we're going to be looking at names that were prophesied about Jesus coming from Isaiah in chapter 9 of his book. And I'd encourage you to open up your Bible or grab the one in the seat back in front of you. Open up to Isaiah chapter 9. The names that, that are given of the Messiah of Jesus are really significant and they have a deeper meaning than maybe a first blush. And so over the next couple of weeks, we're just going to look at each of those to truly identify who Jesus is, as well as to experience more of him in our life. Wherever you're at in this faith journey, whether you've been a Christ follower for a long time or maybe you're just checking Jesus out. I hope that over the next several weeks together, that all of us will, will experience more of Jesus in our life. We'll have a deeper relationship with him because of that. Uh, the, my teammates, we're going to be decking the halls this week. And so next week when you show up, the atrium is going to be filled with lots of Christmas spirit. And I would encourage you, if you want to bring your family, or if you're a student and you want to come here before a dance in the next two weeks, uh, take advantage of the beautiful Christmas decorations. Have a family photo. Uh, this weekend on Saturday, both Saturdays, uh, we're going to have just some people out in the lobby with some uh, snacks and being hostess. They, they'll be armed with iPhones in case you didn't bring a camera. So uh, just take advantage of that. Let it be a gift uh, to you from our family here. And also, I, I hope that you'll take advantage of the Christmas season to invite people that are in your life. Maybe it's a family member, a friend, a neighbor, a co-worker. Uh, those weekends, uh, the weekend of Christmas, we, we've planned five services so that you would have access to those and also make it a, a, a moment where you can invite someone who, who really needs Jesus. Uh, one last thing, we want to encourage you to be generous uh, as we finish out 2019. Uh, you've been so great and generous in the, the past 11 months. Maybe you don't realize, but 15% of our annual budget is funded in the month of December. That, that's a big month. And so we just want to encourage you to continue to be generous, to finish the year strong and help us launch into 2020 with, with a, a great gusto because this mission that God's called us to, every penny you give goes to that mission. And we believe that God's called us to this and we hope that everybody, everybody leans in. 
Now let's get to these names of Jesus. I mean, when a parent chooses a name for their child, they, they want just the right name. It needs to represent like who they hope their kid to be, the love they feel for that child, something special about them. My parents chose four Bible names for me and my three siblings. My sister's named Rebecca. My brother's named Mark. I'm named Philip. It's a one L Philip, just like the Bible, okay? And then there's Seth. Seth is the third son of Adam, but he's also the third son of Bruce. And that's how my parents went about naming us kids. Now, some parents in ages past, they used the phone book. They'd pull out the phone book and go page by page, looking at every name, looking for something that was unique, something that was special, something that would that fit their uh, child. And some parents have looked like at the, the credits at the end of a movie and thought, wow, that's a cool name. Let's try that, right? Some have been creative and taken words and spelled them backwards. Like Nevaeh is a popular name these days. It's just heaven spelled backwards. That, that's kind of cool. And then I have a friend who, uh, whose wife worked in an ER and she met two young children, siblings. One's name was Orangelo and the other's name was Lamangelo. And when you spelled it out, it was just orange jello and, and lemon jello. Like, I don't know how you found the names for your children. But what I do know is this, the names given to Jesus as Messiah, they came straight from God. God picked the names that he wanted to represent this one that we know as Jesus. In Isaiah chapter nine, he prophesies these names that would be given to Jesus. And they indicate more than just a way to distinguish him from someone else. They actually were chosen to represent more of his character, his, his personhood, something that would be deeper in significance. For us to understand that significance, we have to kind of understand the context of when these names were initially prophesied. Isaiah was a prophet during a really stormy time in history. It was from 740 BC to about 681 BC. The Assyrian army was taking over the world. They were, they were a powerhouse. And at the same time, the nation of Israel and Judah, they were on sharp decline. And most of that was because of God's punishment for their disobedience and their sin. It's interesting that at the same time that God is just declaring their destruction, he's also promising their deliverance. And those two themes operate and flow through the entire book of Isaiah. It was a strong political unrest. There were lots of injustice and unrighteousness. And there was a lot of hopelessness happening in the world these days. And so... Isaiah speaks some prophecy that, that really catches people's attention. Look what he says in Isaiah chapter nine. We'll start in verse two. It says, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke and burden on them. You, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. 
He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. God prophesied to rescue his people both politically and spiritually in this prophecy. The the political deliverance was parallel to that of when God rescued the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. And the spiritual deliverance rests on a child, a son that is to be born, is to given to us. Three times in Isaiah, the prophecy has to do with God's deliverance following a sign of a child that was to be born. It foreshadowed the spiritual victory that would come through the Messiah. And each name given to the Messiah is significant. It it signifies his character. So over the next few weeks, as we unpack these names of Jesus, I, I, I pray that we'll get a fuller understanding of him, but more of an experience of him fully in our life. Scholars stress that it's important to understand these names in Hebrew, they don't just uh, identify or distinguish a person, they express the very nature of this person's being. And so today we're going to look at the name Wonderful Counselor. When Isaiah prophesied that Jesus would be called Wonderful Counselor, the world was in turmoil. People were looking for answers, for hope, for peace of mind, for deliverance. Isaiah said the baby would be born to a virgin and he would bring peace and truth and salvation. I love what the angel said to Mary when he pronounced Jesus' birth. Let's first look at the word wonderful. Wonderful refers to a sense of wonder, amazement, the supernatural, a sense of awe or uniqueness, expertise, exceptional, being distinguished. In our world then and now, people are looking for someone and something to put their trust in, to depend on, to be stable. And that's why Jesus, I think, is described as wonderful. Now let's look at what the angel said to Mary in Luke 1, verse 30. The angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You'll conceive and give birth to a son and you're to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, He will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. The Messiah would bring stability, peace, deliverance, victory. He would be great and wonderful. You know, just being wonderful is praiseworthy and worthy of worship, but it's more meaningful than that. Isaiah said he will be our counselor. You could say he is wonderful in counsel. People who are looking for wisdom, direction, and peace, they'll be glad to listen to this authoritative one. They'll be eager to hear the Messiah teach about God's ways. The Messiah was described as a wise sage characterized by extraordinary wisdom. Do you remember what was said about Jesus when he was just a wee lad, like 12 years old? You remember the scene where his parents had gone to Jerusalem to worship. Jesus accompanied them. And while they were there on their way home, they looked around, they couldn't find Jesus. Have you ever lost one of your children? I stand before you guilty, like three, all three of my kids I've lost at some point of their life. I found every one of them, but like it's that moment of panic and fear when you turn around and you can't find them, right? I remember my mom was Christmas shopping one year and I was bored. She was kind of making her way around uh, one of the sections of a department store. And I entered into one of those rounders with clothes on them. They were long coats, I believe, because I made my way into the middle and I fell asleep. 
And I was asleep for quite a while. And I remember waking to this blood curling scream of my mom screaming my name because she was freaked out. She thought she had lost me. Well, Luke records that Mary and Joseph looked for Jesus for three days. Can you imagine the feelings they had during those three days? And when they found Jesus, they found him in the temple. He was among the religious leaders of the day. He was asking them questions, but he was also answering their questions. Luke 2.46 says, everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. Later, as an adult, we see that Jesus continued to be noticed by his teaching that was with authority. Matthew chapter 7, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew records this. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority, not as their teachers of the law. I like what Eugene Peterson says to describe the same moment. He says this, when Jesus concluded his address, the crowds burst into applause. They had never heard teaching like this. It was apparent that he was living everything he was saying, quite a contrast to their religion teachers. This was the best teaching they had ever heard. It was like Jesus knew what he was talking about. People might find his teaching difficult, but they trusted him. Jesus is the one who is fit to guide our lives and he should be our most immediate resource when we need counsel. When we listen to Jesus, his words provide wisdom and guidance and deliverance and peace. Jesus says, I am the way, I'm the truth and the life. He says, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. He states that his burden is easy and his yoke is light. Not only are his words trustworthy, but his ways are gentle and graceful. When we hear Jesus' words and we watch his actions, we recognize the truth about him that John spoke of in John, in his gospel, verse one. He says this, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is compassionate, tender, grace-filled, patient, but he's also knowledgeable and wise and trustworthy. He's 100% grace and 100% truth, not 50-50 of each. And so when we hear and see Jesus, the Messiah, interact with others, we notice him operating as wonderful counselor. Think about his interactions with this wee man named Zacchaeus who was up in a sycamore tree, right? Jesus notices him and says, hey, I want to eat Thanksgiving dinner at your house. And so they make their way to Zacchaeus' house. And Zacchaeus invites some other friends there. Most likely they were other tax collectors. And in the middle of dinner, Zacchaeus stands up and says, you know what? I've wronged a lot of people and I repent of that. And I want to pay back those that I've done wrong. Wow, that's the effect of of a wonderful counselor in your life. When the rich young leader or ruler comes to Jesus, the Bible describes that, that Jesus had compassion on him. And yet he challenged him by saying, sell all of your possessions and and give to the poor. When Jesus meets a woman at the well, when Jesus encounters a woman caught in adultery, when he is anointed by uh, expensive perfume at a person's house by a woman, Jesus notices them. He gives them value and dignity. He defends their honor and he challenges them toward holiness. 
And when Jesus visits his friends, Mary and Martha, who had lost their brother, one of his closest friends, Lazarus, Jesus cries with them. And then he also gives them hope by saying, I'm the resurrection and the life. If anyone dies, believes in me, he will live. Jesus was full of grace and truth. Tim Keller says that Jesus is equally committed to the ministry of truth and tears. Listen to what he says. Sometimes we need nothing, not a single word, just someone to sit down with us, not a single word or groan or moan or anything else. Yet sometimes, spiritually speaking, we need to be punched in the gut or kicked in the seat of the pants. And we don't need anybody's pity. A truth teller that never weeps with us, we're never going to listen to. But a weeper who doesn't tell us the truth, it's the same kind of reaction. It's the truth tellers we know are telling us the truth that when they weep, it makes their tears so valuable, so supportive, so cleansing, so rich. It's not just that sometimes we need one and sometimes we need the other. We need them both always in our lives. That's what makes Jesus a wonderful counselor. He listens, he sees, he cares, he's faithful, he's honest, he's truthful, he's wise. You know, the major dynamic that makes Jesus such a wonderful counselor is that he knows. 19 years and a couple of months or a couple of weeks now uh, ago, my, my son was born. And so he was our second child. We were excited to have a boy. We didn't uh, know until about five hours later after Cade's birth that he was born with Down syndrome. Talk about a, a punch in the gut. It felt a little bit more like being dumped overboard out of a boat, like underneath the water, trying to find the surface, trying to look for light. It certainly wasn't a line that we had signed up for. But before Kate even came home from the hospital, he was still in the neonatal unit. We got a, a ring at the doorbell after we had returned home. And when we went to the door, we met a, a couple that we had not really known before. It was Andy and Nina Fuller. And they were standing there with their five-year-old daughter named Tess, who had Down syndrome. And in the few minutes in our living room that unfolded after that, we got a glimpse of what this life was going to look like. And we, we understood there was going to be challenges, but we also encountered some joy and some love and some peace. It's because the foolers had been there. They, they were speaking from experience of what that journey looked like. When returning back here to our church family at Crossroads just a few weeks later, we met a, a family named the Urs and, and got introduced to Jonathan. When we met Jonathan, we, we got a picture of what life could look like, that there was so much good to be, to be desired in this journey that God had given us. You know, Jesus was fully God, yet he was fully human. And what that means is he knows. He knows from firsthand experience. He knows what we're going through. I think that's what the Hebrew writer was talking about in Hebrews 4, beginning in verse 14, when it says this, therefore... Since we have a great high priest who's ascended into heaven, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who's unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who's been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. That's a powerful picture of the Messiah, our Savior, Jesus, the wonderful counselor. 
Well, what's the Hebrew writer saying when it says that Jesus has been tempted or tested in every way that we are? Well, Tim Keller says this, the only religion in the world that says the creator Lord of the universe has been on our side of the table is Christianity. Jesus knows grief, loss, sorrow, rejection, misunderstanding, betrayal, pain, torture, death. Jesus knows it. He's been there. Jesus is a wonderful counselor because he knows, he cares, he's been there. And so you and I have to come to a place in our life where we humbly admit that we need help. If we don't understand the gospel of what Jesus has done for us, we might be too proud to admit that we actually need help or never go to the wonderful counselor for it. But when we see how Jesus has been broken and shattered for us, we should be willing to admit that we just don't need a little bit of help, but we are absolute failures in desperate need of help. And that's why we need a savior. And that's why God sent Jesus, the Messiah, the wonderful counselor. You know, skeptics and, and, and critics will often say of faith, well, religion is for the weak. Faith is just a crutch. I have a friend who says, faith's not a crutch, it's a stretcher. I mean, can you think about that in that way? I mean, all of us have complete assurance that Jesus is there for us, that we trust and depend on him fully. And we also willingly confess we are in desperate need of his help. You know, sometimes we might believe that Jesus is a wonderful counselor, but we just need to have some skin on that. And so I want to share just a little bit of Monica's story. Monica's a new friend who, who wanted to share about her time where biblical counseling has provided her a picture of this wonderful counselor, Jesus with skin on. Listen to what she says. My healing journey started during a freedom prayer class where I learned about being a prisoner and captive, surrendering my burdens, looking at the walls that had built up between me and God and the ungodly beliefs, to just say a few. I quickly realized that there, are a lot, there was a lot I was carrying in my life from my past and even my present life circumstances that I knew God didn't wish for me to carry. Around the time of the class, I had experienced multiple losses in my family. My dad died unexpectedly at 50 years of age in a car accident. I lost my family pet to cancer at a very young age. My, my friend passed away from cancer and then I lost my grandma. I had hoped the season of loss and disappointment would end, but it only continued. As the loss and disappointments piled up, so did the lies I had come to believe about God, the coping mechanisms I had adopted to keep on going. My performance and penance-based thinking and works continued, and I became even more confused about God and kept carrying the weight of all that I had been through. All throughout scripture, Monica says, we see God's heart and his desire for us to be healed and whole. He doesn't want us to be walking around only a quarter way or half the way healed. His word says about Jesus in Luke 14 or four verse 18, that he was sent to announce freedom or release or pardon to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed or downtrodden, bruised or crushed by tragedy. And in Galatians 5 verse 1, it says that it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. For me, Monica says, I knew that there was so much I was carrying that I was either a prisoner of or captive to. And I got to the point where I told myself, I don't want to carry around anything that God wishes for me to surrender to him. 
And I knew I couldn't do it on my own. I couldn't objectively see the things in my past or in my present disappointments. I needed to say aloud to someone the things going on in my head and I, what I had come to believe or even doubt about God and to let someone else know what was really going on in my life so that they could help me see God's truth and not the lies this world or my circumstances had fed me. Biblical counseling has helped me speak and receive God's truth in my past and in my circumstances, has helped me recognize ways I have been coping in and not walking in freedom. It's also given me the tools to use right away as new circumstances arise in my life. God has been so loving and has sent me more than I expected in this process. His word is true that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And in him we find rest for our souls. Each time I have left a session, I left something in that office that God no longer wished for me to carry. And I've walked out more whole and free than I did walking in. Freedom Prayer has done this for me and I'm so grateful to have both of these ministries offered here at Crossroads. I'm more whole as a wife, a mother, and a person. I love people more deeply because I'm able to accept how deep God loves me. And I'm more quick to forgive people as I've seen how deeply he forgives me each day. You know, one of the exciting things about Christmas is receiving a gift that we didn't expect. I mean, what fun is it for a child when a parent says, hey, Jimmy, I knew you wanted a basketball for Christmas, so I got you one. I'll be under the tree on the 25th. I mean, it kind of takes the mystery out of it all, doesn't it? I think maybe giving money and letting people buy a gift that they like, it, it kind of robs the joy of Christmas. I mean, there's no fun for the giver and for the receiver. All the surprise is gone, right? We all have been in that moment, though, where we received a gift that we didn't ask for, expect, or want, right? And so we open that package and then what? Like, we're like, oh shoot, what, what do I do now, right? Well, sometimes Jesus being our wonderful counselor can feel sort of the same. You see, when we get that gift we didn't really expect or want, we have to respond appropriately. And our response to God, when he offers us counsel that we might not like, or it may not feel good, or it may not be what we expected, we have to trust God as our wonderful counselor and the truth that he reveals through his word, through his spirit, and in Jesus. We must recognize that God's wisdom is bigger and fuller than our wisdom, and his ways are not like our ways. That's what Isaiah says in chapter 55. He says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Jesus is a wonderful counselor because he's wise. He's trustworthy. He's caring and compassionate. He's full of grace and truth, whether we like it or not. He can be trusted. See, there's so many voices in our world today, but Jesus is the only one who offers rest for our souls. This is what John Piper says. He says, the Lord is a counselor. And that corresponds to my need for wisdom and guidance. His counsel is wonderful. The Lord has better advice for you and your life than anyone. It's amazingly and wonderfully different from the advice of the world. God sent Jesus as wonderful counselor to restore life as it's intended to be. Jesus is the supernatural heart changer. He's the ultimate counselor. And if you need a counselor, and we all do, 
Jesus is the only one who gives us exactly what we need. Charles Spurgeon says this, you may have a friend that talks sweetly to you and you say, well, he's kind and good, but I don't trust his judgment. And you might have another friend who's, uh, who's wise, but he offers little sympathy. Do you choose compassion or wisdom? But when we come to Christ, we get wisdom, we get love, we get sympathy, we get everything we could ever want in a counselor. For you and I to grasp the full understanding of who Jesus is, we must begin by recognizing him as wonderful counselor. All the wisdom, all the peace, all the help, all the deliverance we need is in him. Because we see what, that he was broken and shattered for us, then we can admit that we just don't need a little help, but we're desperate for his help, for his wisdom, for his peace, for his deliverance. He sees us. He listens to us. He cares for us. He understands and he offers to help. He's not aloof or overbearing. He's gracious and wise. He is capable and he's available. All those characteristics make Jesus a wonderful counselor. One of my favorite moments of Christmas, one of the things I like about Christmas the most are, are Christmas lights. My family and I will load up in the car. We'll drive around and see those crazy lights is what we call them like that. The people who spend thousands of dollars to decorate their house and it's syncopated to music. If you know of some of those places here in the Evansville area, hit me up because we need to build a new list. But one of my favorite personal moments is usually on Christmas Eve. We've usually been serving at the church long hours. We'll, we'll go to dinner as a family. We'll come home. We'll make final preparations, put all the Christmas presents out, put the stockings, fill them. And then there's this moment where we're headed upstairs, usually to watch like the Christmas mass at St. Peter, Peter's Basilica. It seems to be on the TV when we lay in bed. But before I go upstairs, I like just having this moment. It's just me by myself. I usually just sit for just a few moments on the couch, all the house quiet, just the Christmas lights on. It's like all is calm, all is bright. And in that moment, it just sometimes overwhelms me just how wonderful this gift of Jesus is, especially as I think back over the, the past year, there's been those moments where I've lacked wisdom and I feel like God has just shown up. There's those moments where I've been frustrated or impatient, maybe discouraged, even disenfranchised. And yet God has been so faithful just to reveal himself to me in those moments or to give me hope or encouragement. And it just allows me once again to remember just what an awesome opportunity we have to know Jesus and his full identity and to experience him fully in our life. If you're anxious, if you lack wisdom, if you feel stuck, if life seems to be spinning out of control and you don't know where to turn, if you just need peace, Jesus is a wonderful counselor. Listen to what Isaiah 42 says about him. He says, here is my servant whom I have chosen, the one I love and him I delight. I put my spirit on him and he'll proclaim justice to the nations. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out, till he's brought justice through to victory. And in his name, the nations will put their hope. Jesus was sent here as Messiah, Savior, Lord. He's sympathetic, 
And he's also sovereign. So I want to encourage you to choose his wisdom. Seek his advice. Trust in his care. Learn from him. Rest in him. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for giving us Jesus. God, thank you for giving us someone that we needed even before we asked. Even before you created the world, you knew our need of a savior and a counselor. And so you wrapped yourself in human flesh and came here to earth to be our savior, to be our Lord, and to be our wonderful counselor. And God, I need something that I can't get my arms around. I need someone that's bigger than my life, the good, bad, and ugly that happens. And God, I'm grateful that Jesus as as a counselor is wise. He's trustworthy. He's empathetic. He's patient. He's graceful. He's trustworthy. And so God, thank you for giving us Jesus. And I pray that myself and, and every other person here today, God, would lean into the availability that we find in Jesus as our counselor. That we don't have to wait three weeks to get an appointment with him. That we don't have to wonder if he understands. We, we don't have to question his motives. But God, we, we don't have to uh, doubt his wisdom. And so God, thank you for giving us Jesus. And I pray, God, that those of us who've experienced the, the wisdom and the strength and the help and the deliverance and the hope that we found in Christ would make a good referral to the world around us who's desperately needing those things. The people in our life, God, that you've placed in our path, that we could shine a little light of Christ and point them to him. God, would you work powerfully in us as our wisdom, our strength, our sufficiency. We ask that through the name of Jesus. Amen.